The Rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life. And with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah! Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.land code REFEREERANT. Episode 25, The Rant. We sit down with Jared Jacobson, New York City Catholic AA veteran and men's college official. He discusses his origins in officiating in Boston, his experience refing the best games in NYC, and his pursuit to become a Division I men's basketball official. All that and more, my conversation with Jared now. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref, and I'm with a special guest, Jared Jacobson. What's going on, man? Go on, Ralph. So I met this, I met this man, uh, I think, three years ago, maybe. We were doing a game at Highland Garden. Um, he seemed like he already wanted to leave. Um, I didn't really get a chance to speak to him, but I, I got a chance to know him last year. Um, and I remember we were discussing this controversial call that he had in the AA Finals, which was uh, celebrated on YouTube. And then we got a chance to work a AA game this year, which was uh, an amazing experience for me. And our assignment was there, and I was happy that Jared is, was there to pop my AA cherry. That was also a lot less controversial of an ending. Absolutely. So... I guess a lot of people don't know your origin story of officiating. Um, well, let's go back to the, your love of sports. How did you get, what sports were you into when you were a kid, and what did you play in high school? I did pretty much everything in high school. Growing up through high school, I did not play lacrosse. I did not play football. I didn't like getting hit. Um, I played tennis. I played volleyball. I did soccer. I did basketball. Gave up baseball when I got hit in the eye on a ground ball. Um, so I really did a lot of stuff. I was active. But basketball, for me, was my best sport growing up. Mm. And there was a lefty, so that was kind of different from everyone, so I was able to take advantage of that. Okay. And you had some success in high school with more so track, I think you were telling me off air. Describe yeah. that. Yeah, so I got into cross-country and track my freshman year of high school, and originally it was a plan of, I'm going to use that to stay in shape for basketball, um, naturally was pretty good at it like anything else had to work at it a little bit got a little bit better and put myself in a position where if I wanted to I would have been able to get into college and run to help get in ultimately ended up going to a school where I didn't have to run so I didn't I stopped running competitively after senior year of high school so what led you now you went to school in Boston right yeah what led you to, uh, well, how did you even get into officiating? I had work study through school and never wanted a job that was, let me go to the library, do my homework, and get paid to do my homework, which sounds kind of counterintuitive. Um, in my mailbox one day was a thing from the phys ed department looking for intramural refs. And so, like, this would be kind of fun. It's, I think at the time it was, like, $8 an hour run around the basketball court for a little bit. They had three-on-three, three, so you didn't even have to move. And my freshman year, I did it. The soft, my sophomore year, the coordinator asked if anyone wanted to take the class at Tufts. 
uh, myself, one of the girls that were also an intramural ref, and the grad assistant took the class at Tufts. I think I'm the only one who stuck with it, stuck with it after the fact. All right, so let's talk about your officiating journey when you were in Massachusetts. So you were doing initially uh, intramural games, right? So how did that grow from there? So I did intramural in, while I was in school. My junior year, I think, um, I actually, they have in, national intramural tournaments, which was something completely foreign to me. Um, but I actually, I was selected to go to, I got a free trip to Disney out of it. Um, so I went to Disney for like three or four days to ref in the national intramural recreation and sports something. It's NURSA. Now, was this good competition? Yeah. Uh, a team, schools across the country have teams that have to qualify in like regionals, similar to the Catholic high school playoffs to play in feds or a public school playing in states. So one of the teams was actually from UConn, and it was the team that the UConn women scrimmaged in practice. All men... All, if they didn't go to UConn, would probably be playing Division Two, low major Division One, but they went to UConn, and they were the practice team for the women at the time when they were in their midst of never losing ever. So it was, you had varying ranges of talent. Some were incredibly, incredibly good, and some were not. Some of them were very much intramural. Yes. Okay, so um, just your experience refing those, uh, those players that were for all intents and purposes, the secret sauce to the UConn team, did that kind of light something uh, like a fire within you in terms of like getting good? Because I think if you're kind of in that situation, I'm not exactly sure where your mindset is as a 19, 20 year old, and you're just kind of refing and you're making money out of it. I don't know if you're taking it serious as a craft that you can grow. You know, I think in those, for lack of a term, formative years of me just starting, it was really, I could get $8 an hour doing it for you know, through work study from the government. Or if I was doing men's league, I could get $40 a game or $70 a game if it was in high school. And I said, I'm 20, $8 an hour, 40 a game. The game was roughly an hour. Simple math to me, I got five times as much money to do a men's game. All of a sudden I was 20 years old and going out like it was going out of style. <laughs> <laughs> now, when it comes to the Massachusetts circuit... Uh, did you start doing high school games there? I started doing it there. It was difficult for me because when I was in school, I went to Boston University. There was no parking. Freshmen can't have cars. So I didn't have a car at school. So I had to rely almost exclusively on the subway system to get to games, which most assigners want you to be a simplifier, not a complicator. So me telling the assigner, like, I can't go to these schools because they're in suburbia wasn't going to fly. So I happened to get hooked in with a female, uh, a woman who had handled uh, women's assigning, who was an alumni from my particular division of the school, and really took care of me in the sense that, like, she knew my limitations in terms of travel and didn't really care. So I went anywhere she sent as long as it was off of a subway stop. I would walk to the games. My duffel bag broke one day, the last time I took a duffel bag. Um... I did playoff games. I worked the city finals a couple years, which was kind of strange because I probably didn't have any real business doing it from a loyalty standpoint, where if you're working for the assigner for a couple years and you put in your time, you want to get a shot to do it. Um, she knew me from school. We were, quote-unquote, alumni together, and that's how she made her decision. Hmm. I didn't really question it. I just 
you know, it's like anything else. I just go where the assignment tells me. That's where she told me to go. Right. And we talked about this before, how much luck plays a part in this game. Um, that just sounds like you were just prepared for the opportunity that was presented to you. You didn't think of it as like a big deal. You just kind of just did what you did and got the game and, and serviced it and, and did as good as you could. Yeah, a lot of it is just complete happens. You know, don't get me wrong. You have to put time in. You have to be able to get the calls right and, you know, have all that taken care of. But if you don't get an opportunity or if someone doesn't give you a chance, it doesn't matter how prepared you are mm -hmm. because no one gets a chance to see your level of preparedness. Right. And, and that's one of those things that if you shit the bed at that moment, then there's really no coming back. So it's better off that you're ready for the opportunity because you could be as lucky as you can be. But if you can't execute when it needs needs to be executed, it's kind of like American Idol, man. Like you only get one shot. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it is. You know, you hear people say being a year late than a year early, um, you know, biding your time, putting in your due, you know, it's like whether it's in this business or, you know, if you have a quote unquote real job that you go to, you get one first impression. So you want to make sure it's your best first impression because you're not going to get a chance to undo that impression regardless of how good you think it was or how prepared you think you were. You only get one. Mm. And that holds true whether or not you, you know, try out for a conference today and then you go back in five years. It's still that first impression that someone remembers. So after you graduated college, uh, you didn't, uh, obviously you didn't think about locating and, and laying down roots in Massachusetts. So you came back home to New York. And then what was your next step in terms of officiating? I actually would have loved to have stayed in Massachusetts. I didn't have anything lined up out of school. And I wasn't ready to stay in Boston with no job, having to pay rent and things like that. So I came home. Um, while I was both going to school and afterwards, I got introduced to a couple guys that had summer league stuff in the Queens and in, the, in Brooklyn and stuff like that, which from an experience point of view really gave me completely different levels of basketball than I would have been exposed to in Nassau. Um, so I got involved with that did that for a little bit and then um, the secretary treasurer in Boston talked to the secretary treasurer on 41 transferred my membership and then got hooked in with doing BOCES for a couple years did Nassau Catholics with COS for two years I think um, and then got in with the city Catholics on both sides when it was handled by two different assigners Okay, so those first two years, um, do you feel that you were kind of taking a step back, especially what, what you were accustomed to coming from Massachusetts and then all of a sudden kind of starting over, in a sense? I mean, yes and no. I think that you want your assigners to show the same way your assigner wants you to be loyal to them in terms of, you know, priority for games and things like, or closing out dates for them. You want the same loyalty from them that, you know, and you'll quote-unquote be rewarded for putting in the work and taking their games and stuff like that. So I don't think that having to necessarily start over is the wrong way to do things. Um, some, way, some things and how some people handle it, I may not have agreed with, but those were sort of the rules of engagement. And, you know, it's really straightforward. You can either play by the rules that are set or go find other opportunities. I got lucky that when I came back from Boston that summer, I went to a camp where the junior colleges 
the assigner changed. They went from two-man to three-man. They needed more guys. And for whatever reason, he liked me. Um, so I came back from Boston, having worked varsity girls, going right to junior college without doing any local freshman JV varsity in the area I was now living. So in that sense, it was very backwards for me because I was working junior college the first year back. The second year back, I went to the CBOA tryout and got in on my first try, which was... Rarely su- happens. Surprised. Yep. I was surprised. So I was working with guys in CBOA on Tuesday night and Saturday day and stuff like that, where when I saw them Friday for the, the, you know, the Catholic school game, I was working the freshman JV game, and they're coming in for the varsity game behind me, and they're like, aren't we working together tomorrow at some school in the, you know, some CUNY school? I said, yeah. Well, why are you doing this? Because this is where the assigner sent me. <laughs> so, you know, you have to put in your time for some guys because you have to pay your dues, you have to put your time in. Just because someone else likes you doesn't mean the guy in this particular area likes you as much. Mm. So I think some of it is just having that exposure. And some of it is, you know, you can make those, you can make mistakes at the freshman level, the JV level, the double A or the A level in varsity that you either can't or shouldn't make in a JUCO level or in the Division three level or whatever level you ultimately end up in because if you make that type of mistake in a Division three game, you may not work the next year. But if you make that mistake in the JV game, it's a learning experience. And not that you're not always continually learning or not that you're not always continuing to try and get better. Some things are harder to come back from the further up the ladder you go. Right, and I think that's a valuable point because I think sometimes when it comes to this business, it's very territorial. And I always try to say that if you're going to do something very catastrophic, in other words, a play that you'd want to take back, it's better to do it at low stakes, maybe the first quarter of a freshman game, as opposed to when you're really in the moment and you're doing a junior college game or a Division three. because, like you said, there's really a no, no point of return for those, some of those mistakes. Yeah, and that's, that's true whether it's just a catastrophic mistake at any point in the game or if, you know, you, you always want to get the calls right. But under... You know, you hear people say, like, under four minutes, they don't have enough time to correct for a mistake. Whether it's giving the ball the wrong team out of bounds, uh, a 50-50 block charge call that, you know, could have gone one way or another. Not addressing or not dealing with an assistant coach or player or the head coach early enough that now you're going to have to tee him up. When you're in that under four-minute time frame in a game that was 40 minutes long, you're not really giving him any time to sort of correct from that. So you want to make sure that either A, you handle what you have to handle early, but you also get all those plays under four minutes right. Um, When it comes to everything that you just spoke on before, what was the moment that you started taking it serious, serious? Uh, The first time I had to cut a check for 500 bucks to go to camp, and I said, this is real money. (laughs) You know, because I was out of school, still didn't have a job, you know, I had money from I TA'd in school and the money I saved up while I was refing in school and stuff like that. Um, but my parents didn't help me with the money to go to the camp. They said, if you want to go, you can pay for it. And 
cost for the camp for the week was 500 bucks, which, you know, at the end of the day, I was still 22. 500 bucks was like a fortune to me. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, reinvesting in yourself, furthering your education, you know, things like that. And I said, the couple people that I knew from the area said this would be something good to do. You know, that it was worthwhile because some camps, some camps are teaching camps and some camps are tryout camps. You want to make sure you're going to the right thing for what you're looking to get out of it. Because if you're going to a teaching camp and you think that the assigner is going to pick you up, well, if it's not a tryout camp, they're not really looking to hire people. Could you get hired from it? Absolutely. But the odds of that happening are a lot slimmer than if it was a tryout camp. Mm. You know, so it was something that I thought was worthwhile. I spent the money and said, like, I'm going to spend this money. Stuff got real very fast. Right. You know, because buying pants get expensive. Buying shirts get expensive. I remember in school I bought the cheapest pair of black shoes I could find. They were like the old school, like, Adidas, like, flat sole shoes. Mm-hmm. I worked all Saturday in them, and I couldn't walk the next day because the <laughs> shoes were literally the worst thing I've ever worn. They were, like, 30 bucks. I thought I was going to be smart and save the money. I think I took all the money I made that Saturday, went the next day, and bought shoes that, like, I would not, like, have to limp the class to mm. the next day. So you also talked about um, this the the time that you came back from Massachusetts that you did a lot of... Uh, leagues in Brooklyn and Queens. How important do you think that working in New York City has been instrumental in your development? And I'll just say this. Um, we're kind of a rare breed when it comes to Nassau and Suffolk officials because there's only a handful of guys that are willing to drive and invest in themselves to do better basketball because I guess sometimes they don't think of it that way. Maybe it could be logistics or family. But I do know that what it's done for me, it's helped me grow exponentially because the the level of play is that much better. It's above above and beyond anything that you're going to see in Nassau County. So how has that helped you in your development when you first started out and, I guess, moving forward now? It, it allowed me to see that much more, that much quicker. Because, you know, with, without being condescending or insulting, there are certain things that you'll see in the city above the rim play when kids are 15 years old. People dunking. You know, just the athleticism that, you just don't see out here. So I would work summer league out in Rockville, in the Rockville Center League or in Baldwin, which if that's all you're exposed to, it was competitive. But if you expand the radius 10 miles and now you're going into Queens, well, now you're pulling in city kids, kids that play in the Catholic schools out in the city, and the, just the talent level is that much different. I remember I had uh, one of the coaches from Island Garden years ago he actually coached at one of the Long Island public schools and one of the kids I'm, that used to work for me played on the team and he's telling me a story how one of the kids on the team's parents is half complaining half venting why his why their son isn't getting recruited more because he's averaging I think he said like 18 points a game at a North Shore Long Island public school and the coach played division 2 at Adelphi and he was good and the coach is saying, you know, like, yeah, he's averaging 20 points a game, but it's conference one, which is good, but, you know, he's not the leading scorer in the conference. And if you were to then include the kids that play in the Nassau Catholic schools, he's not in the, you know, he's not a top 10 scorer, he's in the top 25. And then if you include the kids from Suffolk, he's now top 50. Mm. 
And then when you include the kids in the city, he's now top 200. Then when you include the state, he doesn't even make the list. Mm. So being so close to the city, you know, allows that much more exposure and that much more plays and things like that. But, you know, what the coach was trying to tell the parents was you're not in this little, like, bubble of you could be the best guy in Nassau or Suffolk, but you're talking about the country. Right. And especially now, at least with college recruiting, to get off topic, it's not just the country that's getting recruited. They recruit the world globally. Now. Yeah. So, you know, you could be the best guy in Nassau, but if you haven't seen basket interference or goaltending or any handful of other plays that for most people you're not seeing until you're at the varsity level well if you don't see it until you're at the varsity level you either may get it wrong you may mm-hmm. be caught surprised you may be off guard but if you're seeing it in 15 year olds when you see it it's you're not you've already seen it so you know what to look for you've already seen something similar so you know how to deal with the coach you've seen you know things that you just don't see out here you see in the city and I think that for me, it was helped me progress and develop significantly faster than I otherwise would have if I, for lack of a better, st- stayed in Nassau and only did games in Nassau. What's your take on adult leagues? Um, I know that, well, I was telling you off air, I know that your dad's a softball legend. That was my first experience officiating. I didn't know that there was uh, no, another world where everybody is tame and then you only have to deal with the head coach. My, my normal was everyone's watching the strike zone that I, don't, I still don't understand. Everyone's <laughs> drinking Natty Light on the bench and everyone's criticizing the strike zone. And, you know, I have no help. I'm just by myself. So um, what do you think about adult league? And do you think that it's a, a worthwhile thing to have under your belt in terms of progression as an official? It's absolutely worthwhile. Um, when you're first getting into it and first coming up, I think, you know, for the same reasons why going into the city is worthwhile, doing men's league games is worthwhile because you're dealing with different personalities. You're dealing with different things that you otherwise wouldn't necessarily see in 16, 17, 18-year-old kids that you're now seeing in men. Depending on the men's league that you're doing, a lot of the guys used to play Division One basketball or Division Two basketball. My biggest problem in doing men's league was, one, it was 9.30, quarter to 10 at night when they right. played. And I'm now married with two kids and one on the way, so I really don't want to be out that late because I'll admit it, I'm a prima donna. And I just <laughs> I, I just don't want those games anymore. And these are also guys that when they were 18 to 22 and in college, they were really good. But now that you're in your early 40s, mid-40s, and you can't cut like you used to. You can't jump like you used to. You don't shoot like you used to. And you still think you're 22 being mm-hmm. able to do all those things. And it became more of a headache than it was worth where look, guys were going to, you know, they think they're going to get into a fight. And you look at them and go, how do you explain that to your boss the next day? Why you have a black eye? You got into a fight in men's league the night before? Mm. And for me, I had, a, I had and I still have a very good relationship with the assigner where I get a lot of my games. I just said, give me whatever you want, but I'd rather not do men's league unless I have no choice. Because I just didn't want to deal with the bullshit. Mm. Um, because it just wasn't worth it to me. That At that point in where I was developmentally, right. it wasn't worth it. But at the time... At the time... It was something worthwhile for your development. I was single. I had I was living by myself. 
It didn't matter what time I came home, and it was forty an extra forty bucks, and it was already there. So I wasn't coming out for one game. I was there for two. This was the third game. Well, I'll stay an extra hour. I'll take another forty bucks, and I'll do it. But at some point, something had to give with my own life right. and the money. And thankfully, giving up the men's league wasn't the difference of whether or not bills got paid and things like that. Because, you know, God forbid you get hurt. I never relied on basketball money for my bills. It was always supplemental. It was always extra. It was, she want, you know, we wanted to redo something on the house. We wanted to go away wanted to do something nice for the kids one year, you know, whatever it was, it was, it was money for that. So that God forbid I ever hurt myself, which happened one year, um, or work didn't allow me to get out as often that it wasn't the difference of putting food on the table. So it's always been extra for me. And it's always been, you know, like a bonus money in that sense. Mm. Don't get me wrong. It makes the bills easier. It makes everything easier, but it's not, the end-all be-all where I feel that, like, I can't be at my kid's birthday Friday night and I have to take three games because otherwise we're not going to have a heat in the house. Hmm. So um, I did want to ask you, now that you're at where you're at, uh, what what advice would you give someone that has been kind of toiling for four years and they have yet to do a varsity game and they aren't sure what they're doing wrong, if they're doing anything wrong to begin with? What kind of advice would you give that particular person? I think a lot of it starts with self-assessment and I know that at least for myself because I'm now in colleges I think this is my 11th season um, when I started in the colleges what the signers were looking for is completely different than what they're looking for now you know 10 years ago a lot of it was three two you know division three division two division one you put in your time at three then you go to two you put in your time there you go to one now it's a little bit more of you can some guys are much more comfortable with you going three straight to one and it has nothing to do with the amount of games you ref it has to do with that you look right because it's like anything else you know technology's everywhere everything's on TV everything's on video if you don't look the part that will probably hold you back if you're overweight it will probably hold you back so I think one thing I would say for someone who's still figuring it out would be, is there something, you know, of the things you can control, is there anything that needs adjustment? Whether it's your attitude, physical appearance, you know, things like that. Because both basketball-wise and for me, work-wise, I'm a big believer in I can control the things I can control, and the things I can't control, they're Disregard. just... Disregard, yeah. You know, don't give me the final in whatever league because I'm not available. Or because I had them six days ago and you don't want me to have them back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Don't, not, don't cross me off the list because I didn't run hard enough. I, was, I wasn't hustling... Um, I was talking about one of my partners, Nick, and, I, and it got back to you. You know, I was always one who, especially starting, if my partners wanted to ride together, they reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to meet up? Otherwise, you know, and I was perfectly happy to drive with them. I was not one who 
would necessarily reach out to my partners to see if they wanted to drive together, you know, because especially in the colleges, the referee was the one who would reach out to the crew, confirm the game, if we were going to drive together, things like that. I just sort of, you want me there at 5.30? I'll be there at 5.30. You want to talk about stuff after the game? We'll talk about stuff after the game. I wasn't looking to really bring any of my own opinions or own thoughts unless I was asked. And then if I was asked, it was very short and to the point. It was not open-ended because coming in, not that they're looking for a yes man, but get in, get out, what's, and go to the next one. As you are in longer, as you are more comfortable with the guys you're working with, as you're more comfortable with the coaches, you know, that changes where if I know the guys I'm working with, I'll just ask them if they want to ride together because it makes no sense for the three of us to take to pay the toll if we had to pay a toll for a game. Or, you know, if we're talking about a play, it's not where I'm saying, like, being like, yeah, but. No one wants you to say, yeah, I agree with you, but what about this? Because a lot of times you may not know who you're, yeah, butting. Um, because the person, for all you know, could be working Division Two. And they're only on this game because you're new and the assigner wants you to work with them. But you don't know who he is because you've never seen him before. Right. Which happened to me. Um, Which happens to you a lot. You don't like those moments. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, it's like anything else. It's that first impression. Once your foot's in your mouth, it's really difficult to come back from it. Right. Um, you know, so that's, you know, that's self-reflection, that self-assessment, things that I'm very poor about. I don't watch myself on video enough. Um... I've only recently got into watching on crossover and synergy some of my high school and college stuff. Um, but I think that is a big help because, you know, the way you see yourself, the way you're perceived by others, the way you're seen, like when you're watching yourself as like a, you know, a third person, not in the moment has definite value. You know, I think that's something that I probably should have and could have invested more time in. But with work and kids and, you know, something has to give. And that was the piece that got sacrificed. I'm trying to be better about it now. Um, but that was the piece that wasn't as, I wasn't as on top of. Right. But you're now making it a priority more so. I'm trying to be better about at least looking if, you know, if there's a play that I have that I go, you know what, I think this, I think it was this. And I have, you know, I had a game this year where a kid sets a screen at half court. And he's the only one in the area. And the team on defense never calls out the screen. And the guy gets completely rocked. Mm. And the coach has been in the league a couple years. I know the coach from before he was in the league. He used to coach in the Catholic League. So I have a pretty good relationship with him. And, you know, we're talking about it. He goes, ah, you know, that, that screen looks like he sort of got taken out. Brian, you, you may be right. I thought I had a good look at it. I didn't think he brought his arms up. I, I really thought that someone should have called the screen out. Mm. But we can go look at it in video. You may be right. He goes, yeah, yeah, we'll go look. I looked at it. I sent it to three or four other people, and they all had the same opinion I did, which was someone should call out the screen. Mm. Never heard from my assigner. So I, that means to me that I was right. You know, But I think two, three years ago, I don't even look at the play. Mm. Um, so I think being able to go back and look, being able to have those those technologies available now, 
is really something that is great for someone who's trying to figure out what's holding them back. Because mechanics and just the look is such a huge thing. You think every time you're stopping the clock on an out-of-bounds or a whistle, and you only stop it 70% of the time. Well, 70% of the time may be great doing rec league, but if you're looking to advance, you can control whether or not you stop the clock. Mm. You can control whether or not you're in the right spot when you have a foul. You can control whether or not you're rotating if you're doing three-man either quick enough or appropriately enough or whatever it may be. So things that you can control, and you may, your perception may be, I'm doing all those things. But when you finally sit down and go, you know what, I'm going to devote an hour to watching the first half today, or because you, know, you may not be able to watch the entire game in one sitting, and if you actually go back and chart it, you go, I didn't stop the clock four times. Which seems like such a minuscule thing. But you get to a, you get, regardless of what level you're at, you get to a point within that level where everyone stops the clock. So if you're not stopping it, that's something that's going to hold you back. Or if you, at a higher level, everyone runs really well and you're just, physically you're just out of shape. Well, you got to make sure you're in shape, which you can control. You, you, you can't control where, to some degree you can control where you live. But if you're set up roots with kids in school and you live in New York and the conference has schools that are in Pittsburgh, well, let the assigner not take me because they need a guy to cover Pittsburgh. Hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm just not moving. My, my, my in-laws live nine houses away. My parents are four miles away. My entire family's in Long Island. I'm just not moving to Pittsburgh. So if the reason why I didn't get picked up for this particular conference is you need someone to cover Pittsburgh and the Pennsylvania schools and me and the other guy are equal, but he lives in the area, well, you know what? It just wasn't meant to be. And I can't control that. Mm. And I may just be, still be disappointed, but I'm okay with being not chosen because of where I live. Mm. I wouldn't be okay because I was five pounds overweight. Or you're not stopping the ball four times in a game. Right. Gotcha. Because you can control those things. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, I know we talked off air about that we always need help along the way, no matter what level you're at. So I know for myself, mentors have been so instrumental to me. And the reason why I started this website and this podcast is to kind of give back because it's a shame that I was able to share a locker room with you and get your wisdom that particular day. But not everyone is so fortunate because they don't have those same experiences. But let's just talk about um, how important mentors were for you along your journey and how it's important to you to give back um, as a senior official now. Yeah, mentor, having a mentor is such a huge and not only having a mentor finding the right mentor for you is such a huge thing um for me i've had a couple people that have been able to sort of help me along the way um i'm still in the trying to figure out where my quote-unquote forever mentor type person is because i think that you know you get to a point where you need to be able to distinguish yourself and sometimes it's just having someone say your name and you need someone who's going to put it out there for you. And if you don't, or if you can't have someone, if you don't have someone to do that for you, you could be the, you know, it's like calling three seconds. You could be the best ref not working because you call three seconds. You could be the best guy that there is, 
but it'll take you that much longer to get an opportunity. It'll take you that much longer to have a chance just because someone's not, for lack of a term, vouching for you. Mm. That's already there. Um, you know, I've been fortunate that I've had a couple people help me progress within the Catholic school ranks in the city that have helped me get into the junior colleges and to some of the division three and two stuff. Um, I think now for where I am in the Catholic schools, um, I'm more comfortable offering advice when asked. Um, you know, I'm still not one who's just going to start telling you like, Hey, you really should run faster or, you know, I think if you wait a second on that whistle, you find that you don't need it. Right. You're not going to impose your wisdom, but you will give suggestions if somebody is... You're not going to intervene, in other words. You're just going to... If if somebody asks you, you'll you'll gently tell them. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I was fortunate enough to have certain opportunities and breaks from people that, like, I think it's only... It's the right thing to do to be able to, you know, quote-unquote, return the favor, so to speak, where... You know, we have a game, I had an opportunity, I don't know if it's an opportunity or the unfortunateness, I had a game at uh, Bishop Lachlan this year, where the away team read, there was a scheduling issue where the varsity, we thought the varsity was playing at 4.30, but the away team thought the varsity was playing at 6 o'clock. Oh boy. Yeah, that was, that was fun. Um, where, so, the, I was on the varsity game. The three varsity officials ended up doing the JV game. <laughs> we had a th- first time in my life I ever did three three man, man JV three game. Man JV. That wasn't a camp. No, it was it was hysterical. Um, did you have fun? It was fun. What's also like completely mind blowing is like there was a time where I was like, like I was like spinning with my head, like I was running around with like a chicken with my head cut off in this type of a game where like there's two of us and this was like a lot to handle. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like. Mm-hmm. Like everything just sort of slowed down. Yeah. Um, so the way it ended up working out was the three of the three varsity officials did the JV game, and then one of the varsity officials stayed to work with the two JV officials for the varsity game. Were the JV officials at that moment ready for a three-man game? To be fair to the officials, for the situation they were in, they did a very good job. Okay. What was difficult was you go from a double-A JV game straight to a double-A varsity game. Different level of expectation. Of Of which there's three levels of varsity to get to before you get to the Mm double-A. There's B, A, then double-A. So some of the the plays and some of what you, you see requires a whistle in the JV level. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need it at the double-A varsity level where, you know, yes, there was some contact going to the basket, the kid finishes strong, and we're going to play on through that because I think everyone's had a game where you could have a whistle every single play. But that doesn't do the players, the coaches, you guys any justice because every play doesn't need a whistle. Right. But relative to what they were seeing, that play in a JV game needs a whistle. If you only see that, you have whistles on those type of plays. Mm. So on this particular game, I probably was a little bit more forthcoming in terms of ref philosophy. So you were that varsity official that did the Yeah, did I, the uh, I ended up staying. Um, it actually ended up being an upset. The Lachlan ended up losing by two. And 
there was no point in the game that 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 there was a call that you they could say oh it was because we didn't have quote unquote our normal guys. Um, so in that sense, I think it went really well. You know, I think if we were to go back and look on tape, of which it was never uploaded the crossover, um, you would say like maybe I don't need a whistle here, maybe I need a whistle here. You know, that I think in time they would have either had or not had a whistle. But for what the situation was, I think it went well. And I'm assuming that these JV uh, referees never done a double-A game, let alone a varsity game? Yeah, so the way that uh, the Catholic schools work, have worked the last couple of years, they have a freshman JV list, a swing list, and then a varsity list. Um, these particular officials weren't even on the swing list. They were just on the JV list. So a scheduling issue, which had no fault of their own, they sort of got thrown onto a double-A game, wow. so they get an opportunity out of nowhere. Which is awesome which for is them. Gr- which is great. Um, it goes fine. There were no issues. And then when I talked to the assigner about it, well, how'd they do? It was fine. You know, everything was good. They called what they needed to call. So not that they were given an opportunity as much as this was what was presented for them. Ready for the moment. And not that my opinion is going to sway anything with the assigner, but... If there was a problem, it would take that much longer for them to circle back to the top of the pile to go back up to the varsity list, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, having said all of these things, what do you think it took to get to where you are right now? Luck. A lot of it's luck. I think I mentioned earlier that I happened to come back from school at a time where the junior colleges went from two to three men. I was young I was I was able to run I got enough of my calls right for the assigner and he needed bodies and I was available so he gave me a chance um first year I ended up I got called that morning to do a playoff game because one of the guys on the game had an emergency appendectomy I think otherwise I wasn't getting a playoff game my first year I've gotten playoff games from him every year since just because someone else unfortunately had a medical issue, and I was available. So a lot of it is luck. A lot of it is being available, which is sometimes the best trait you can have because if you're just not available, it doesn't matter how good you are, whether you're not available because you work other leagues, whether you're not available because your job doesn't give you time off or you can't get off, um, is and it, you know sometimes a problem. And just making your most of an opportunity, you know, I think things I could have done better would have been networking and schmoozing and things like that a little bit better with um, people on the Catholic and the high, on the college side. But that's not that really wasn't my style, so to speak. So I didn't really do it as well as some other people. And you know, I still got opportunities, but maybe it took me an extra year to get the same opportunity that someone else got because they were hanging around those people more often you know not that it's not that they didn't deserve those opportunities but you know a lot of it is out of sight out of mind if you're not in front of the front of the people that are making the decision they don't remember you (laughs) right but you also want to stay authentic to yourself and i mean if that's not really part of your fiber that's not something that i suggest anybody do if it's outside of the realm of what they're comfortable with as well oh absolutely if if that's not you then i would certainly say don't start like yeah. buying rounds of drinks for everyone cause yeah don't be Richard Nixon or Donald Trump and then think that you could uh, all of a sudden 
do what they do. Yeah, I mean, for me, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like glad-handing and schmooze. It just was, after a game, hey, we're going to Mickey Splains, which if you've ever worked in New Rochelle, Mickey Splains is in New Rochelle. That's the spot where a lot of the Westchester guys go. Um, sometimes I wouldn't. I just, I'm going to go home. Well, if I would have stopped for a drink, if I would have stopped, even if you're just having a, you know, not that I should, not that you're looking to drink and drive, but if you're just stopping for water, soda, whatever it may be, just being there after the game and talking about it, not even necessarily with your partners, but because the assigner's there afterwards and, you know, stuff like that, it goes a long way. Mm. Sometimes I would, I was better about it than, you know, there were games I was better about doing it than others, but, you know, it, it, it's different for everyone. Mm. Um, so what do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go and where do you want to go ultimately with this? I would like to try and get into a little bit more of a full Division Two schedule. You know, a lot of the guys, a lot of the signers still feel that you need Division Two experience before they will hire you for a Division One conference. Um, not everyone feels that way. Uh, I personally think that I'm in a much better position if I have Division more Division Two experience than I currently have. Um, so that's sort of where I'm trying to focus on this summer. Um, and then a lot of it also becomes money being able to go because you know as you go to as you move up levels, camps get more expensive. Um, the payoff is there because the game fees also you get paid more, but it's a larger outlay, and it becomes a numbers thing. And you know when you have a young family and a growing family, some years you just don't have the money to do it. Um, so I would like to at least try and get a little bit better position in the division twos to make myself more marketable for some hopeful division one oppor- division one opportunities you know a lot of it is still luck opportunity having people talk to talk for you which you don't realize how much of a part of a process that is until you see everyone you see other people doing it and you're not mm. um so i think this summer i'm going to do a little bit more of a coordinated effort to have the right people talk to the assigner before the camp or after the camp to advocate for you to advocate for me because you know you could be going to a division true tryout where there's 70 guys chances are all 70 could probably chances are of the 70 guys they're competent at that level 55 could work the conference but he only has six spots Mm. so you have to do something that's going to separate yourself from the other 55 and I think everyone's gone, or if you haven't gone to camp, some of the camps, you're not refing a Division Two game in the camp. You're refing 16-year-olds. It's an AAU game. So you may not get that level of ball where you can really distinguish yourself because you saw goaltending and you got it right or because you had a lot of block charges. You could have a game that's a 25-point blowout, and there's nothing that's distinguishing your, you from someone else outside of the fact that he's friends with some... You know, you have a mutual friend, and he happened to put in a good word for you. Which, right or wrong, it's that way in business, it's that way in this business. It's just important to know what you're doing as for someone to know you. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's basically a microcosm of life. Yeah. This, this, this game that we're in. Um, if you had to say what your greatest attribute is, whether it be play calling, your court sense, your mechanics, your hustle, what do you think is your greatest attribute and strength on the court 
on the court. I thought in general I would say it was bring ice cream before games. Okay, that too. <laughs> but you didn't bring in at our game. No. Next I, game, next game. I very I'm hold that I to actually, you. I actually very rarely bring it because it usually annoys everyone. And no one wants to eat it before the game. Um, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, you tr- I, tried, I tried coming up and even now to still be humble about opportunities I had, games I've done, things like that, because, you know, just because I did this particular type of game, there's someone who's had a better game, a bigger game, a better paying game, so, you know, unless you're the Eddie Corbett, Mike Stevens, um, Jeff Anderson guys who were consistently working the Final Four, the National Championship, there's always someone that's doing something bigger and better than you are, Mm -hmm. so, yes, working a double A game on a Friday night may be a big deal for me. There's maybe someone I worked with who it's just another game because they're working a different one game on Saturday. So you you know you try to be humble about games you've had, opportunities you've had because you know not everyone gets those opportunities, not everyone has those same chances that you get. So you know you know you don't want to take anything for granted. Um, I think that. You know, for me, controlling things I can control, hustling, being in position. You know, the coach doesn't have to like my call, but you're not gonna, you're gonna not like it because you think I was wrong, not because I wasn't in position. So, you know, I, I think that that's been an attribute for myself, being able to hustle or control those things within the game that will put me in the best position to succeed or be right. Um, things that I think that have helped once you're in and sort of getting established is now being able to manage the coaches which it's a lot harder to have a relationship with manager coach when it's your first year and he's never seen you hmm. as opposed to when he's seen you 15, 20, 25, 30 times um, which to some degree is a shame because there are plenty of guys who are breaking in who are very good who just don't get a fair shake because they're new at some point everyone is new so you know, I think if everyone gets a fair shake, it it would be better. But that's, I don't it's, think also the way. Again, it is. that's the way it goes, right? Um, what is your biggest regret as a basketball official? Whether it be a call that you would take back, maybe an action you did before the game, maybe you were late for a really big game. Anything that you regret over the course of your career? I went to the wrong school once. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that wasn't good. Uh, I had a JUCO game. Six years, maybe seven years ago, Kingsborough was playing Suffolk Selden at the time. Suffolk had Suffolk East and Suffolk West. They've since combined to one school. They're probably the two furthest schools from each other. Um, it was one of my. I was still probably only working in the conference for a couple years, and I thought like I'm going to get there early and I'm not going to worry about traffic. I got there so early. I was sitting in the parking lot for like 15, 20 minutes. I finally get into the school, and the operations staff tells me that there's no game being played today. What do you mean? I said it's Kingsborough against Suffolk upstairs. Nah, Suffolk left to go to Kingsborough two hours ago. <laughs> I managed to go from Suffolk Selden to Kingsborough, which is probably without traffic an hour, in rush hour traffic in about an hour ten. Um, I got there late. My assigner said, "There's not much I can do to help you with because I'm stepping on the court for my own game right now. Just call your partner and tell him you're on your way." Um, so that was probably like one of the more boneheaded things I've done. Where I went to the wrong school. Now, did you have beads of sweat as you were driving in this rush hour traffic, thinking like, "What the hell did I just do, man?" Yeah, especially because I was there early. <laughs> like, it wasn't even a matter that like I was. I didn't leave work late. 
I didn't run into traffic. I didn't have a problem. I just, I didn't read the schedule right. Right train, wrong track. Yep. Um, so that was pretty dumb. Um, you know, it happens. The game actually had some problems with the, with the scoreboard or the game clock. So the game started late. So I actually only missed like six minutes of the game, which was surprisingly pretty good. Um, so that was interesting. Um, there are some, in hindsight, I, well, I think I was right in calling the travel that you talked about earlier in the, uh, I thought, I thought you were right. You were right. And, and if no one, if the, no one knows what we're speaking on, um, it was a close game between Archbishop Malloy and Christ the King at St. Francis Prep. It was the double A championship of 2018. And, um, I think it was a close game the whole time. And I think, um, who won the game? Christ the King ended up winning. It they un- they won the game and they secured a rebound with you know mere three seconds left, and the kid was you know they were basically thinking that the game was a formality was going to close, and then he released his pivot foot, and Jared just came out of nowhere, said stop 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 it's a travel, and then you went to, I think you went to the, the table right, and you tried to explain and, and to the coach. Yeah, so it was, uh, Molloy was on the line for free throws. They were down two. Um, the free throw kicked off to the side. The kid from Christ the King secured the rebound. I was the new trail coming up court with three seconds to go. The kid, Malloy wasn't playing defense, but we were in front, in front of the Malloy bench. Um, and the kid just walked off with the ball. Um, so I call a travel. And then from the travel, I, I can see that the Christ the King coach and bench, who I have a pretty good rapport with, was like, what just happened? So I explained it to him. To his credit... He handled it as best as could be expected at the time, um, and they ended up winning in regulation. Malloy ended up missing the shot. They ended up winning by two. Um, I He didn't agree with... The coach from King didn't agree with me at the time. I saw him later on at Fordham a couple weeks later, and he agreed that he traveled, but still didn't like the fact that I had to, that I called the travel. Of course. Um there were mixed reactions about whether or not it was something that needed to be called because Malloy essentially threw up the white flag. But the travel happened in front of the Malloy bench. So I didn't want, I didn't need that to be the thing that was... They were hanging their hat on that that's why they lost because mm-hmm. I didn't call a travel and give them a chance to right. tie the game. Right. Now, how do you think you would have felt if, uh, if Malloy ended up indeed scoring and it was uh, in time? Do you think that would have? I think that they would have deserved the opportunity to get the ball. I agree. What happened after that? That has happened. Nothing to do with ha- it. You know, if you want the clock to run out, just stand there and let the clock to run out. Right. You know, it happens a lot where you see kid. Especially, it happens a lot more now in the colleges where coaches can call timeout during a live ball. So they'll tell their guard or someone to call timeout. The guard calls timeout and then just starts walking to the bench. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't walk to the bench until the timeout is granted. So just because you're starting to you call timeout and walk off the court, if you if you don't get an acknowledgement of the timeout, you just traveled. Right. So if you want the timeout or you want the clock to run out or whatever it may be, just stand there until it either runs out or until you get the acknowledgement of what it is you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So. But it was certainly a learning experience, that game. Was that one of the most stickiest situations? And if do you have any other 
sticky situation that really, I guess, uh, is in the forefront of your mind. That was one of the more interesting endings I've had. Um, I think my first year in CBOA, I had... It was Polytech, which no longer plays as Polytech because they're now NYU Poly. And the College Mount St. Vincent, Poly was a uh, 0 for ever that year. I don't think they won a game. And if Mount St. Vincent won, they were going to the playoffs. Poly's up... Poly's within, like, two points the whole game. Kid from Poly was a shooter. There's six seconds left. I'm the C. Um, the... The other two guys were both in CBA several years. One was a little bit more... Decorated is not the word, right word because it makes it sound like it's a military thing. But was certainly a little bit more... Experienced. Experienced, seasoned than the other partner was. I was a C. The, the super veteran, let's call him, was the lead under the basket. I have the last shot. I have the ball cl- clearly leaving his hand. Ball goes in... I probably bang it home three or four times. Mount St. Vincent doesn't make the playoffs as a result. The coach ends up having a kicking, or someone said that he kicked kicked one of the people at the table, chased us into the locker room, broke a light. That was probably the stickiest situation. Um, But you still stand behind the call. That's that's what happened. I never heard from anyone about it. Um, And at the time, video replay and... Um, like synergy and things like that weren't as widely used, at least for out, you know, for the official to look at it. Right. Um, so I'm positive that I was right. One of the kids on the team is actually the younger brother of an official I'm very close with. We ended up meeting him at Outback after the game, <laughs> and uh, he said, "No, the kid, abs- kid absolutely let go of the ball. The shot was absolutely good. Um, may not have liked the fact that it was good, but said no, it." He let go of it. Um, so that was probably one of the more interesting situations I ended up in. What is uh, your best moment as a basketball official? Um, I was selected to go to the Division Three National Tournament four years ago, I think. Um, so that was probably one of the highlights was being selected for that. Um, you, know, you can work playoff games. You could work finals. You can work it, but going to the Division Three NCAA tournament was probably one of the cooler experiences I've ever had. Um, this year was the first year I'm going up to Feds, so I'm looking forward to that. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and it's the last year it's in Glens Falls, which is both a blessing and a curse because next year it's in Fordham. So mm. it'll be cool to go to Glens Falls and have that experience. It'd be really nice to have a 40-minute ride instead of four hours. True. Um, but I think for me, I like I wanted the experience of going up to Glens Falls. So I'm looking forward to that. Here it is. And it sounds like I'll never have that experience if it's moving. No, it's going to be at Fordham, I think, for the foreseeable future, which I think long-term will be a better draw than it's... It's a nice gym. I like that gym. Yeah, Fordham's a a better spot. Dude, this was absolutely a pleasure. You had a treasure of information. Do you have any final thoughts before we part ways? Yeah, I think... uh, I will try not to be as standoffish with Alan Garden anymore <laughs> because uh, apparently that's something I can, I, I, I can do. Um, you know, but a lot of it is just opportunity, keeping your head down, you know, asking questions to the right people at the right time and not necessarily whether you agree or disagree, especially if you disagree, just going, okay, you know, 
you can disagree with what someone's telling you, but there's no reason to let them know in real time and defend yourself. And especially. be like contradictory about it because yeah. no, you know, if some if someone's trying to help you, let them help. Yeah. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to think they're right, but there's no reason to. You don't want to be. You know, you hear about being as a player being coachable and being. You know, it's similar with refereeing. Whether the assigner wants someone who's coachable and is a simplifier, you don't want to be the guy who's labeled the complainer, the one who's difficult, the know it all guy, the yeah. know it all, the the big timer, whatever it may be. So I think that's something for people who are looking to progress to keep in mind. Good man. Anything else? No. I think that's everything I got. Unless you have any other questions. I have no more questions for you, Jared. Sounds good. This has been great, man. And for Jared Jacobson, one time, man. Thank you very much. I'm Ralph the Ref. This is The Rant. We're out of here.